and welcome to the latest episode of the Bankers podcast series, Banking in Transition. In this series, the Bankers editors are speaking to industry experts from across financial services to explore how banking is responding to global challenges and trends, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, sustainability, and the drive for increased technological innovation. I'm Marie Kemplay, the Bankers Investment Banking and Capital Markets Editor, and in this podcast, I'm joined by David Glendinning, UK Head of Risk at Societe Generale. And in this podcast, we're going to be discussing the topic of climate risk for banks, particularly in relation to their loan books, which is clearly an area of increasing importance and focus. So, I mean, David, to start with, perhaps you can outline for us, you know, what are some of the key climate related risks for banks that they need to be considering, you know, in relation to their loan books? Uh, Absolutely. First off, I said it it is absolutely correct that loan books are one of the primary areas in which banks measure climate risk. They're not the only one. But to answer specifically your question, there are two main climate-related risks that we look at in relation to loan books. Uh, those are physical risks and transition risks. So to give you a bit more color on this, uh, physical risks we define as the economic costs or the financial losses which could result from the increasing severity and frequency of events such as um, extreme climate change-related weather events um, or longer-term gradual shifts in climate such as changes in, uh, in rainfall, extreme weather variability, uh, changes to the ocean, uh, rising sea levels, and so on and so forth. The important point there, there's a distinction between um, what we would call chronic uh, physical risk and acute physical risk, i.e. The, the risk of something happening suddenly being a um, catastrophic event, versus changes which take place over time, but which nevertheless can have a profound impact. The other type of risk that we look at is transition risk. These are the risks that relate to the process of adjustment towards the low-carbon economy. And we can see that with all the events that are happening in the public uh, or regulatory sphere, uh, those are uh, very important right now. They could materialize through policy and regulation changes, changes in technology, uh, changes in markets, uh, for example, shifts in consumer preferences or impacts in terms of reputation. So clearly a pretty broad range of different, um, you know, potential risks there that banks need to be mindful of, you know, and how are they approaching quantifying that, the level of risk within their loan portfolios, you know, bearing in mind all those kind of different types of risk that you've outlined there? Yeah, so at the portfolio level, typically the the approach that's commonly used is to compute stress tests. These are done using well-recognized scenarios, usually from Excel agencies. At SG, for example, we use scenarios defined by the International Energy Agency, which are well-recognized internationally. These scenarios typically formulate hypotheses around the impact of a, of a two-degree scenario by whatever date, and that can vary according to the scenario that we're looking at. The main use of these stress tests is to develop awareness and a common understanding of the magnitude of climate risks. They are useful at the overall level, and certainly at SG, we consider it is important to track our progress against the public commitments we've made in this space, uh, given that increasingly uh, climate change and how we contribute to the, to the, to the low-carbon economy is a strategic uh, shift for us. However, the actual management of climate risk also requires the embedding of this approach into existing risk management processes. What I mean by that is that it's not enough to calculate a stress test at the portfolio level. To continue with the example of loan books, at SG, we've developed a methodology that enables us to assess the impact of climate risk on individual clients' credit risk profile. 
This approach also relies on scenarios, but it's clearly more granular. And we can, using this approach, assess individual client risk and engage with our clients as these are typically medium to long term. And it sounds like, you know, this is a, an evolving area, you know, an area that's continuing to, to evolve. And possibly a bit of a stupid question, but I'll, I'll go for it, you know. I mean, as, as more and more kind of stress tests and other frameworks are put in place to kind of try and understand and quantify that level of risk, you know, is, is it in fact becoming easier or more complex, you know, that this issue as more analysis is done, you know, and hor hate to use this horrible cliche, but, you know, is it a bit like peeling back the layers of an onion, you know, and the more you kind of delve into it, the more more complex it kind of becomes almost. I mean, on the one hand, the financial industry has made great strides in recent years to embed tools and methodologies to better assess climate risk. As we were talking about just before, we, we have scenarios, we've got methodologies, we've got protocols, we've got client engagement. I mean, we have all of that and uh, it does make those assessments more granular, more relevant. Um, at SG, for example, we've had a dedicated environmental team in place since 2005. Uh, naturally, you know, we now have 16 years of history in terms of developing our approach to measuring uh, and assessing climate risk. However, uh, and that's why your question is such a good one, this adds layers and layers of complexity the more we refine our approach. Uh, to, to illustrate my point, first of all, the scenarios and assumptions that the measurement of climate risk rely on need to be homogenized and they're by their very nature uncertain. The fact that measuring climate risk relies on scenarios creates a degree of uncertainty. These scenarios can and should be challenged, but the more they are, the more complex the debate becomes. And also another factor, which is purely common sense, is that once you've measured the more obvious climate type risks, for example, the impact of energy transition on coal, how do you assess the impact of climate risk on less obviously polluting industries, which may nevertheless be profoundly impacted by the transition from certain polluting raw materials or processes? We think we've identified some of them, but are those assessments correct? Are they complete? I think this is something that we need to remain humble about and, uh, and uh, remain conscious of. Okay, so we've spoken about, you know, the, the challenges and progress that's being made around the kind of quantification of, of of those risks. Um, but I guess to think about the other side almost, you know, once those risks have been identified, what measures can banks put in place to mitigate them? How do they go about doing that? For me, uh, that's three things, um, thinking about it. The, the first is that banks need to embed climate risk into existing risk management processes. So this is not about positive impact finance. It, it's about understanding why we're doing this. Uh, and we're doing this to correctly assess uh, the tangible risk which could affect uh, a bank's financial stability and uh, the financial stability of, um, of the financial industry more generally. So given bank, that means being able to articulate our approach to manage climate risk in order to get buy-in from our stakeholders. Uh, we increasingly get queried by our board, by our shareholders, uh, by our regulators on this. And that's why it's so important to, to do those stress tests, which enable us to articulate exactly how we're doing in the energy transition and guide those strategic decisions, including the risk appetite. Conversely, and that's my third point, in terms of internal risk management processes, it means that assessing climate risk needs to be fully integrated rather than making it a standalone approach, which would create the risk of it existing in a vacuum because it needs to actually have an impact on our decision-making. 
That's interesting what you're saying there. And you, and you mentioned earlier on, you know, that SOCGEN really has quite a um, relatively well-established, you know, heritage in this area, you know, and as, you, as you've described, you know, processes and understanding have developed within the bank over, over quite a number of years now. But how does that kind of fit into, you know, the broader financial system? You know, is there more that needs to be done at, at that level, you know, to support the efforts around, you know, increasing understanding of, of risks and also, you know, to the to the last point we were discussing, therefore the mitigation of them as well. Um, that's a very good point, Marie. Uh, so the short answer is yes, a lot more needs to be done in the broader financial system to support these efforts. Clearly, now there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of uh, political will around this. Uh, I, I think, generally speaking, there's a consensus uh, around the direction, but it does require. A lot of tangible support now is about how we execute um, as an industry uh, with all the stakeholders. I'd just like to draw out two, two areas where I think uh, more needs to be done. The first is around scenarios and methodologies. Uh, we're talking about the additional complexity. Part of that is due to the fact that there's so many scenarios out there. It is inherently complex to, to assess the impact of climate risk which you know, from our perspective at SG is not a standalone risk, it's an aggravating factor for existing risk types. Uh, it's something that we've made clear you know, in our um, climate uh, disclosures. That, but that, that creates complexity and um, these scenarios need to be discussed, they need to be understood, they need to be scrutinized, and ultimately they need to be harmonized. The same thing for methodologies. Uh, as stakeholders compare banks, as regulators compare banks, uh, we need to have a common set of methodologies for, for this to be relevant. The the other point, and uh, which I think is possibly even more important uh, from an individual financial institution's point of view, is data. Data is key. It's a pain point for all banks in this area, I believe. Um, data is not always readily available. It's not harmonized in its definition. Uh, for example, when we talk about economic sectors which are subject to uh, climate change, uh, the very definition of an economic sector uh, needs to be looked at and harmonized. Uh, and this is something which I think uh, will require significant collective investment uh, in the next few years. Well, thanks, David. Really important topic and, and appreciate you sharing your views and insights with us today. Um, that's all for this podcast, but you can keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify and Acast, as well as following our discussions at thebanker.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.